Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if my sins give me alarm and my conscience grieve me, let your cross my fear disarm, peace of conscience give me. Help me see forgiveness won by your holy passion. If for me God slays his son, he must have compassion. Amen. Many of you know that I am a big fan of Max Lucado, pastor and writer of Christian books. In his book, He Chose the Nails, Max tells a humorous story about how he pronounces his name. Is it Lucado or Lucado? For the record, he says, we say Lucado. But confusion over the pronunciation of his name has made for some awkward moments. Listen to Max as he tells the story. I was visiting one of our church members at his office. One of his co-workers spotted me. She'd been at our church and read a few of my books. Max Lucado, she exclaimed, I've been wanting to meet you. It seemed rude to correct her before I'd even met her, so I just smiled and said hello, thinking that would be the end of it. But it was just the beginning. She wanted me to meet a few of her friends, so down the hall we went, and with each introduction came another mispronunciation. Sally, this is Max Lucado. Joe, this is Max Lucado. Bob, this is Max Lucado. Tom, this is Max Lucado. I would smile and cringe, unable to maneuver my way into the conversation to correct her. Besides, after half a dozen times, we reached the point of no return. Correcting her would have been too embarrassing for her and for me. So I just kept my mouth shut. But then I got caught. We finally met a guy who beat her to the draw. I'm so glad to see you, he said as we entered his office. My wife and I visited your services last Sunday, and we left trying to figure out how to say your name. Is it Lucado or Lucado? I was trapped. Tell the truth, she'll be embarrassed. Lie, he will be misinformed. She needed mercy. He needed accuracy. I wanted to be kind to her and honest with him, but how could I be both? I couldn't. So I lied. For the first time in my entire life, I answered Lucado. I'm sorry, Lucado. I pronounced the name Lucado. May my ancestors forgive me. As humorous as this story is, 
I believe it helps us to some degree to understand God's dilemma, his conundrum, so to speak. On a much grander scale, God faces with you and me what Max Lucado faced with the woman. How can God be both just and kind? How can he dispense both truth and mercy? How can God redeem us from our sins and yet not condone our sins? In other words, can a holy God forgive sin? Can a loving God punish sin? From our perspective, there are only two options, right? It's one or the other. But from God's perspective, there is a third. It's a divine perspective. It's called the cross. On this holiest of days in the entire Christian church, let's marvel, let's celebrate this afternoon that Jesus' final steps led him to the cross. Now, I think if we're honest with each other, we'd agree that the cross is an odd choice to symbolize our Christian faith, right? The symbols of other world religions are so much more upbeat. There's the six-pointed star of David for Judaism, the crescent moon of Islam, a lotus flower for Buddhism. Yet, a cross to symbolize our Christian faith, such an ugly instrument of torture and execution to display what we believe as the followers of Christ? Would any of us wear a tiny electric chair on a chain around our neck? Would we hang a gold-plated hangman's noose on the wall of our bedroom? Would we picture a firing squad on our business card? Yet that's what we do with the cross, don't we? Many even make the sign of the cross when they pray. Would we think of making the sign of a guillotine? Instead of touching our head and our heart and our shoulders, would we come down into our palm like a karate chop? Doesn't have quite the same feeling, does it? Why have we chosen the cross to symbolize our faith? Why do we put it on the steeples of our churches, on the face of our gravestones, even right here, front and center, in the chancel of our place of worship? To find the answer, we need look no farther than the cross itself. The cross couldn't be simpler. One up beam, one cross beam. One shoots up reflecting God's holiness, the other shoots out reflecting God's love. One reflects the height of God's purity, the other reflects the width of God's mercy. The cross is the intersection of those two. The cross is where God's absolute holiness and his 
amazing love for you and me come together. The cross is where God forgave all sin without lowering his standards or disregarding his truth. Now the question begs asking, how could he do this? And there's a one-word answer, the word Jesus. Jesus took all of our sin. He put all of our sin on Jesus. And then he nailed our sin in Jesus to the cross. As the prophet Isaiah said, words that we echoed in our opening service today, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what's even more impactful is to know that God didn't just put our sin on Jesus. God made Jesus to be our sin. And then he nailed our sin to the cross where it could be paid for. Listen to the Apostle Paul. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. God's holiness for our sin. Christ's righteousness for our wickedness. Or as another more contemporary translation of Scripture puts it, Christ never sinned. But God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. On this Good Friday, we envision the scene. God is seated on his throne above. You and I are situated on the earth below. Between us and God, hanging between us and God, suspended between earth and heaven, hanging on the cross, is Jesus. On Jesus are our sins. In fact, he is our sin. God, who must punish sin, directs all of his anger, all of his wrath, all of his fury on Jesus. Jesus receives the blow. Jesus suffers death and goes to hell to bear its agony and its pain for us. Since he is between us and God, we are not affected. Our sin is punished, but we are safe. Safe in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. My friends, that God did this is not the question. That's the clear and plain teaching of Scripture. The question that begs asking is, why? Why did God do this? Moral obligation? Divine duty? 
parental responsibility? None of these. God is required to do nothing, absolutely nothing. Besides, remember what it is that he did. God gave his son, his one and only son, his beloved Jesus. Would you do that? Would you give your child for someone else? I wouldn't. Ask me to make a list of those people for whom I would murder my son or my daughter, and the list is blank. I don't need paper. I don't need pen. I don't need pencil. The list has no names. But not God's list. And that's the only list that really matters, right? On God's list is your name and my name and the name of every human being who has, who does, or who will grace the face of the earth. That's the magnitude of God's love. That's the height and the width and the breadth of God's love. And that's why Jesus' final steps led him to the cross of Good Friday. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Just as the upbeam of the cross clearly declares God's holiness, so the crossbeam of the cross declares his love. And how wide God's love is. If you've never done this before, offer thanks to your God that John 3.16 does not read like this. For God so loved the rich or the remarkable, the fit or the fanatical. Thank God that John 3.16 does not say, for God so loved the Americans, or the Europeans, or the Africans, or the sober, or the successful, or the rich, or the poor. John 3.16 simply says, for God so loved the world. God's love is wide enough for the whole world. And since you and I are of the world, we are included in God's love. It's so good to be included. So often we're not. Childhood cliques exclude us if we're not cool enough. Colleges exclude us if we're not intelligent enough. Companies exclude us if we're not qualified enough? Country clubs exclude us if we're not pedigree enough? But God never does. When asked to describe the width of God's love, Jesus put out his left hand this far and his right hand this far, as far as they would go, and let them get nailed there that we'd never doubt that we are included in his love for us.
Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But isn't there a limit? Isn't there an end to this love? Moses, the hot-headed, ill-tempered, never found it. David, the adulterer, never found it. Peter, the liar, never found it. Paul, the murderer, never found it. When it came to their lives, man, they hit rock bottom. But when it came to God's love, they never did. Like you, like me, they found their name on God's long list of love. And isn't that list the only one that really matters? Greater love has no one than this, Jesus once said, to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's what he did. And that's why we're here. We're here to marvel and celebrate that Jesus' final steps led to his cross. For it's there that he laid down his life to make you and me his friends forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.